looking at 12 verses God's word in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another, that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In 2014, Nigerian pastor Habila Adumu and his family were awakened to the sounds of pounding on their front door late at night. The only reason for someone to be pounding at their door at this hour was an emergency or even worse, an attack on their village. Habulu rushed to get dressed, and when he entered the front room, he was immediately confronted by masked intruders of the famous or infamous Boko Haram, with one of them carrying an AK-47. The men announced they were doing all his work and began to question Habila. What's your name? What do you do? Are you in the police or the military? Are you a Christian or a Muslim? I'm a Christian, he replied. The intruders replied that Habila had the opportunity to live and live a better life. He would only become a Muslim and say the Shahada. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. They even asked him to join Boko Haram. All the while, Habala was prepared to die. He said, I am a Christian and will always remain a Christian, he replied, even to death. Don't worry, Habila told his wife. As the rifle was aimed at his head, the death of a Christian is a great gain, not a loss. The man with the AK-47 placed the rifle next to his mouth and said, Since you refuse to become a Muslim, here is your reward. Then he pulled the trigger. As his wife cried over her husband, she heard him gasp, I'm still alive. Please get help. Jesus told his disciples in John 15:20, "Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also." We enter an interesting stage here in Jesus' ministry because thousands of people are coming before him. It seems like he is being welcomed, that he's being adored. 
And yet, if you look at the verses right before this, you see that the religious leaders are now trying to trap him. Two forces are coming at one another that are going to collide. Is Jesus going to be someone who's praised and lauded? Or is Jesus going to be someone who's condemned and killed? Just before this, these religious leaders had seen Jesus cast out a demon, but they said, he only does this because he does it by the ruler of demons. Jesus, though, rebukes them. He rebukes them for their hypocritical, externally driven religion. And that leads them to plotting to arrest and remove Jesus. So Jesus takes this time, this crucial time, to talk to his disciples. Well, how are you going to live in this hostile world? He knows what is coming, and he gives them warnings of traps to avoid and blessings for faithfully following him. If you have a bulletin, you can see the outline. Because first, in verses 1-3, through we're going to see that Jesus warns them of having a hypocritical faith. Then in verses 4 through 7, he's going to show them they should have courageous faith. And lastly, in verses 8 through 12, they should boldly confess the faith. So, verse 1, we see the crowd surge, and Jesus is warning his disciples, and he says, Be on your guard, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, you may not be as familiar with leaven, but leaven is basically the same as sourdough, a sourdough lump, a starter mix that... You mix in with other ingredients, and then it causes the dough to rise. Except if you just look at a lump, there's nothing you can immediately see that goes, oh, that has leaven in it. It's only through time that it grows, and the leaven influences, changes the whole loaf of bread down to every single particle. Now this image was very familiar to the Jews because in Exodus 12, before the last plague, God told the Israelites to remove all the leaven from their house. And then after they removed it, they would have seven days without it. And then that became an annual feast for them, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they would, for a week, remove all leaven from their house. And leaven became a spiritual metaphor for them because it was removing the damaging effects that may not be seen at first like leaven, but would spread, would change, would contaminate the whole, just like sin. And here the leaven is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. On the outside, they're doing all the right religious things. But in the inside, they're full of greed and sin. They say they're the path to God, but in fact, Jesus says, they're a path to death. And so, though they look like a pure loaf of bread, they're actually leavened bread, and it will ruin and corrupt anything it comes in contact with. And so, Jesus says, like leaven, you may think that's going to stay hidden. You may think your hypocrisy is going to be hidden, but it'll be revealed. He says in verse 2, because nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made light. Your words that we wish no one else would hear are now going to be made known to everyone else. For those of us who follow politics, you've known in each of the last three presidential cycles, In October, there's been a surprise. A conversation that was supposed to be private is now released. And what was supposed to be heard by a few is now proclaimed from the networks. And in each release, there is, or at least should be, outrage that a candidate for the President of the United States would say such a thing. What was said in secret is proclaimed for all to hear. 
And this will be true not just for them, but all of us. Because we're living two-faced. We're living hypocritically one way here, but reality over here. You've probably experienced this hypocrisy, probably in your own life, but definitely in others. A couple months ago, our family went to a yogurt shop, and we were finishing paying, and I saw this car pull up, and these girls go, oh, I think that's Alicia. And then they come out, and Alicia walks in on, oh, hi, Alicia, so good to see you. They all knew how they felt about Alicia, but when they came in, oh, good to see you. Two-faced. Oh, God, we love you. But I'm not really going to do what you say in my private life. This two-faced hypocrisy that Jesus says we must watch out for because he sees and knows all. Now, this can be a terrifying truth or a freeing truth. You know, it's terrifying if we have thoughts, deeds, desires that we don't want him or anyone else to know about. But yet he's merciful when he says, confess, and you'll be forgiven. Bring to the light yourself, and his light will cover it. On the other side, it can be freeing, because maybe you have been doing what is right over and over, sacrificially, selflessly, and no one seems to notice. seems like no one cares, and yet that's not true. God is saying everything will come to the light. Even the good things will be rewarded. And so Jesus is saying that spiritual hypocrisy is just like leaven. For though it may not immediately be realized, one day it will be made evident. And thus we must watch out. We must be on our guard against this type of hypocrisy. You're rather religious or not, we all have felt the pull of wanting to be accepted, wanting to be loved. And so maybe you think, oh, I need to follow God and be religious. And so you start putting on all the external things that religious people do so they'll think oh i'm one of them i'm good and yet inside you haven't changed at all and that's a danger that we must be on guard against because jesus noticed he doesn't just first warn us okay the world's going to be hostile so what you need to do is watch out about all these evil people he says first watch out for yourself that you don't deceive yourself thinking you're one of his, when in fact, you're not. And so we have to ask, do you have a joy in God? Now obviously it's not going to be every moment, but do you delight to sing his praises? Do you delight to know him? Jesus says that what is done in secret will be revealed. What you laugh at, watch, and do at home or with friends will someday be known to everyone even all of us here. Would you be fine to laugh at that same joke or watch that same network or show or video with us or before the God of the universe? You know, our society says, what you do in your private life is your own business. Nobody has a right to say what you do by yourself. And yet our Creator, our Savior says, everything you do, even what's in private, will be accountable to me. And so live in the light. Live without hypocrisy. And he's warning us that we've got to be careful that we don't deceive ourselves. Now I know for many these truths can be guilt-inducing. You know what you've done. You know what you watch, and All you can think of now is shame. 
And yet Jesus says, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So live in the light of the Gospel. Bring those sins to Him. Yes, your past was bad, but it was washed. It was cleansed. It was sanctified through the blood of Jesus. And yet Satan is very slippery because if he can't get you to get focused on your past, he'll start getting you to focus on the future. He'll do anything to keep you from a passionate, all heart, soul, mind and strength love for God right now. And so he'll make you start thinking, well, what about this? Well, what if this happens? And you start living in fear of the future and you get crippled in your love for God today. And yet Jesus replies, show courageous faith. Luke 12, 4-7, the second section. Because Jesus now is telling them who to fear. And he says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they could do. Now notice the first thing Jesus said. He says, my friends. Jesus knows all, and yet he still, by his blood, welcomes us and calls us friends. So you don't need to live in shame. You know, in 2008, NBC started a show that had gone on probably in the 80s, and that was American Gladiator. And I didn't care too much for the show, except one of the guys I knew from A&M was on the show. He was a small, wiry guy, and then there's all these big, muscular guys, but actually his small wiriness gave him an advantage. And each week he kept winning. I couldn't believe it. And finally he was on the championship show. And he won. And my friend won American Gladiator on NBC. Except in reality, I knew his brothers better. And I don't even know if he would have called me his friend. The beautiful thing is that Jesus doesn't just hear from us, he's our friend, but he says to anyone who trusts in him, You are my friend. Your past does not define you. The cross defines you. So you are my friend. And so that gives us boldness to have this courageous faith because he welcomes us. And thus Jesus goes on and says, don't fear those who will only kill the body. Now this is not theoretical talk. Jesus isn't like going really extreme when everything's going just fine. He just talked about, at the end of Luke 11, how the religious leaders killed all of the prophets from before. And Jesus' disciples needed to know that he was going to be killed. And they might, in fact, they would face the same level of persecution. And what happens the first time they had this level of persecution? They all fled. One of them even fled naked. We're out of here. We're not here for this. And yet Jesus was faithful. And then died and rose again and gave them new strength. And so he's telling them, don't fear what is only limited to just our body. And he's saying that because we're more than just a body. You're more than just a collection of molecules that move due to chemical synapses in the brain. And you're more than a being that when you die, your existence is over. Jesus is saying you are a body and a soul that will last forever. And thus Jesus goes on in verse 5 and says, There's one to fear, the one who not only can 
destroy the body, but can destroy you eternally in hell or Gehenna. What's Gehenna? Well, Gehenna was a trash heap outside of Jerusalem. You could read in the Old Testament that the evil Israelite kings, in their worship of false gods, would sacrifice their children in this area. And then when King Josiah came, he stopped this practice, and this land was considered so evil that they would only use it for their trash heap and dumping the bodies of criminals who'd been condemned and put to death. Now, they didn't have massive machines like we do that would first dig a hole and then bury it all over, so they got rid of their trash by burning it all the time. And Gehenna was a putrid, hot, fiery place that you only went to as quickly as you could to get rid of your trash and hopefully never return. And Jesus says this is a small picture of what the judgment will be like. A place of unending fire that should be avoided at all costs, even the cost of losing your physical life. Now, hell is not a popular belief. And it's one that we shouldn't flippantly adhere to. It is serious. It's real. And it is horrible. As we talk to people about it, it shouldn't be something we try to win an argument about, but that we express the urgency of the reality of it. And yet the reality is it's so easy to care about the opinions of others, to fear those who not only might kill our body, but who might say we're unpopular, to be overwhelmed with the wrong people's opinions. It's like auditioning for a play and caring about everyone else who's auditioning and not realizing the one that matters is the casting director. What they think of what you do is what matters, not what all the other people trying out for the play think. Care about the one who will have the ultimate verdict. You know, one day your body will die. And at the resurrection, your body and soul will be reunited to judgment. Thus, don't just look at the immediate future, what can these people do to me, but look at the distant future, that day when we have to come face to face with our Creator. And so, yes, following Jesus may be costly. It may be painful. It might literally bring death, but that is not the final word. Jesus' death and resurrection show that there is life to come, a life that will be filled with incredible joy if we know Him, incredible suffering if we don't. But notice though, Jesus is not just saying, well, you should fear God because He's this great judge. Because notice what He says in verse 6. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than the sparrows. So Jesus is saying, you should fear God because He is good. He's a loving Father. Look at this. You can go to the market, Jesus says, and you can get these worthless fast food sparrows. They're the, they're the dollar menu of the day. No one cares about them. Get as many as you want. Fill a bag. They're, they're nothing. But God, the ruler of the universe, He cares for these things that we don't think a second thought about. And if He cares for those How much more is he going to care for the ones he sent his son to die for? So, delight in, awe, reverence, 
fear of that God. In fact, He knows every single hair on your head. And so don't fear those on earth. Fear Him. Live not in the fear of the future, but live with courageous faith that you get to be His disciple. We all have had those moments when the fear of the future can seemingly cripple us. What's going to happen if I have to speak in front of the class? I'm not going to say anything. The, it might. It could. Turns us in. Makes us fearful. Cripples us right now. And it's not going to work to tell yourself, well, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Be happy. There are many things that cause alarm. So you must take those fears, those real fears, and drag them to the cross. To see that God loves and cares for you so much that He paid the price for your sins. That He knows every single aspect of your life. And He's working them all out for your good and His glory. So what you need to do is take the reality of your past and drag it to the present so that you don't live in the crippling fear of the future. You don't let the crippling fear of the future suffocate you now. Live with courageous faith, not crippling fear. And you know, some of you may be mentally scratching your head saying, well, which is it? Am I supposed to fear? Or am I not supposed to fear? A couple times it said fear, and then a couple times it said do not fear. You know, the thing is, we often have misunderstood the word fear. You know, in our culture, for whatever reason, we take some words and we always give them either negative or positive connotations. Love is good. Well, it's not good to love people who abuse animals. That's wrong. That's a bad love. It's not bad if your car stalls on a train track and you see a train to go, we need to get out of here. That's a good thing. Love isn't always good and fear isn't always bad. In fact, fear is a God-given emotion that helps us. You know, on October 18th, 2011, Sam Kopchak, he went out to his barn. He was going to go out to the fields and get his horse and bring it in in Zanesville, Ohio. And yet his horse was skittish and running all around until he couldn't realize what's going on. Then he turned and he saw a bear running across the hill. Oh, that's scary. Let's get to the barn quickly. But as he turns to go, he sees there, right on the other side of the other hill, an African lion in his tracks. And so, as calmly and yet as fearfully as he could, Sam tried to make it back to safety. You know, unbeknownst to him, his neighbor had come to the end of his ropes, and in his desperation, he'd released his exotic animal farm. That day, 18 tigers, 7 lions, 8 bears, 3 cougars, 2 wolves, a baboon, and a cock were all released to the wild. Sam was right to fear. It was good to fear. It would be unnatural, unhealthy for him to go, Oh, a bear, a lion, no big deal. You want to go for a ride, pony? His horse was afraid, and he was afraid, and that was good. It led to their safety. Sam's response probably saved his life. And we're told the only thing to fear is fear itself. That's not true. Fear is not the issue. It is what do you fear? Why do you fear it? 
You know, the actual most common command in the Bible is do not fear, but we also are told to fear God. And in this passage, Jesus is warning of fearing people and fearing the future. And what he's saying is those fears can drown out the fear of God, which is the good thing. Now the phrase fear of God carries a wide range of meanings. And we often think of fear of only bad, so we think of it as a negative thing, but it's an orientation of God of respect, awe, even at times dread, admiration. Our Creator, there He is. And yet, a couple generations, maybe one ago, it was a common praise of someone. Oh, they're a God-fearing man. Yet that phrase is as common now as a salad in a donut shop. People don't talk that way anymore. Fearing God is pathological. That's why you shouldn't fear God. He's your friend. But Jesus says he's both. Don't choose friend or fearful judge. Jesus says through me, God can be both. Your friend who comes near and loves and welcomes you, but still your judge who you should not treat lightly. And if we will fear God in this way, it will bring us good. If we don't fear God in this way, it will lead to our harm. 1 Samuel 15, King Saul needs to go attack the Philistines, and yet his men start deserting. They start deserting because they haven't had the sacrifice yet from Samuel that they need to do before they go into battle because they want God to be on their side. And so what does Saul do? He sees his men's fear. He starts to fear. He goes, I'll just do the sacrifice myself. And because of that, God takes the throne away from him. In Exodus chapter 1, you may be familiar that Pharaoh tells the Egyptian midwives, whenever the Jewish women bear a son, you need to destroy the son. And yet it says they fear God. And they don't destroy the Hebrew boys. And they're blessed. And for us, we should have this same reverence. Oh, living with our life oriented to God, not to people, because we have fears. Now, for most of us in our culture, the fear is probably not that someone is going to point a gun at your head, but it might be, what happens if I don't go to that parade? What if I don't support that lifestyle? It might come with a surprise look when you don't applaud what our world applauds. When you Give a statement that goes counter to what everyone else is saying. And yet Jesus says, don't fear those who only have the power to shame you on social media. Don't fear those who might stop coming to your business. Don't fear those who can keep you from promotions or keep you from being invited to their outings. Fear the one who has the power to send you to hell. Fear the one who has such good care for you that he's taking track, keeping track of every single hair on your head. He loves you. He cares for you. Don't disown him so that some people on earth who will one day stand before him like you will still have you in good favor. You know, are you fine to lose God's approval so you can keep that of your peers? Are you willing to save your life and lose your eternity with God? He is good and kind, and in His goodness, He won't let us rebel forever. And so thus, Jesus encourages us, have courageous faith. 
so courageous that you boldly confess the faith. Verses 8 through 12, the last section, Jesus encourages us to boldly confess him, the faith. Jesus says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So Jesus says, confess me now, and I will confess you. Romans chapter 10, 9 through 10 declares, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Being a follower of Jesus cannot be a closet affair. While not called to have an obnoxious faith, we should have a public faith. You know, people today are proud of many things. And they can often do this in a in-your-face, accept me for who I am or don't even talk to me way. And yet we should be proud to be followers of Christ, but do this humbly, gently, and with a desire to love those who even hate us for our beliefs. So have you publicly professed Jesus as your Lord? Have you even publicly professed him to this group? Being faithful to him in baptism, confessing that he is the one that I love. He's the one that I fear. He's the one I adore. And Jesus says, of, but if you deny me, I will deny you also. Verse 9. Now none of this is pie in the sky. Oh, nice story, talk. Jesus knows that for him to be faithful to the Father is going to lead to the cross. The disciples who are now in the Gospels telling Jesus' words, they all know that they fled, that they denied him for a time. And we can be fearful and we can deny. Ty read for us earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and in there, there's this impression that Paul's disciple Timothy is getting fearful. Because Paul has to say things like this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Surely Paul had to write that because Paul was growing timid. Like us, Timothy was perhaps thinking of the future and going, well, Paul is now in prison. i got to take care of my mom. i got to take care of my grandma. Well, what's going to happen if I keep proclaiming this Jesus? I'm not going to be able to care for them if I'm in a prison. And yet Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Jesus never promised following him would be easy. His burden is easy, but the road is often easy costly. However, at the destination will be a reward that is infinitely greater than any sacrifice we've ever made. So Jesus says, confess him. Confess him before men. And then Jesus says something that causes a lot of confusion. It's not the part where he says he will forgive us our sins. That's the part we all seem to understand. It's when he then says, but if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, 
that will not be forgiven. Now, I think as you look at the near context and the larger context, we see this is not a one-time statement. This is a clear rejection of God's revelation over time. I say that because the near context, because Peter and the disciples denied Jesus, and yet they were forgiven. It was, well, what we see here is the religious leaders time after time have been shown Jesus working, and yet now they're saying it's by demonic power. And they will continue. They'll even know of the resurrection and they'll go, that's not really from God. That's made up, even though they know it's true. And that is the blasphemy that Jesus is talking about. You, know, If you're concerned, have I ever blasphemed the Spirit? I want to be forgiven. Then you're not the type of person Jesus is talking about. The person who commits the sin, they don't care. And they are glad that God will never welcome them because they want nothing to do with Him. They hate everything that God loves. And clearly, throughout Scripture, we see if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. So if you desire forgiveness through Christ, you have not committed the sin. And yet there is a real warning here. If you continue to hear God's revelation, you continue to say no through your words or your actions, you may be blaspheming the Spirit. And you shouldn't continue to presume that God will give you a desire even to repent. Yet then Jesus gives a word of comfort. Verse 11, because he says persecution and trials will face them. They're going to be brought before synagogues. They're going to be brought before rulers, authorities. However, they don't need to be anxious. Again, Jesus is saying, look, you could live in fear of the future. Well, for faithful to Jesus, they're going to bring me before the rulers. I'm not going to know what to say. And yet Jesus says, instead of being crippled by that, cling to this promise that the Spirit will tell you what to say in that hour. We see this worked out in the Acts of the Apostles. So please turn to Acts chapter 4, where we see this very thing worked out. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is brought before the rulers. He's brought before the elders. He's brought before the priestly family. It's exactly what Jesus talked about. And if you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So Peter is speaking by the Spirit, but then notice what happens, because after this, they hear it, and then notice verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The Spirit gave them in that moment the words they needed to speak. You know, only the Spirit of God promised by Jesus could explain to these men, how can they talk like this? These are common, uneducated men. Now the point here is not, you never need to prepare. You never need to study. You could just go into test blank and God will give you what you need in that time. Peter, who was promised this, Peter, who experienced this, will then later write in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope within you. Prepare, but know that ultimately it's not your preparations, but God's Spirit that should give you courageous faith, that could give you, should give you 
boldness. Now, did you notice here this Trinitarian, we might say, comfort? There will be crisis. Jesus says, you're going to follow me in a hostile world, but the whole Trinity cares for you. The Father is looking down, and he cares for every single hair on your head. Jesus says, I will confess you if you continue to confess me. And he says, the Spirit, he'll empower you. He'll strengthen you. He'll give you the words to say. And we get see this played out again. Flip over to Acts chapter 6, verse 10. Because there, a man named Stephen, he's brought before the religious leaders. And in Acts 6, 10, it says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And Stephen goes on and he talks and he confounds them. But then look over at Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. It says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus! Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here we see the Trinitarian support because what is he doing? He's inspired by the Spirit to speak. The Father is showing his glory to him. And did you notice what Jesus is doing? Jesus is standing. What did Jesus do once he finished all his work? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And yet when his disciples are facing persecution in a hostile world, what does he do? He stands up to help them. So you can be faithful in a hostile world because the Father's glory is worth it. The Son is standing to assist you and he gave you his Spirit to empower you. And this was not just what happened in the Acts of the Apostles. This courageous faith that boldly confesses Christ can still exist today. I began by telling you about Pastor Habila. He was shot for confessing Christ, and that night, 30 members of his church were also shot for confessing Christ. Only he and his family lived, and when he was asked how he felt about Boko Haram, he said, we are condemned criminals. Christ died for us. He loves us. That's why we must show that love to the people that hate us. Since that day, I pray to God, God, forgive them. God, forgive them. My prayer is that they will know the truth and be saved, not be condemned. I love them. Even if I had the opportunity to see them, I will hug them and I will pray for them. How do we follow Christ in a hostile world? Will we follow? By not being deceiving ourselves, by being hypocrites, but by courageously confessing Christ. For God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we don't have the strength in and of ourselves. We desperately 
needs You. And so we rely on Your Son to give us the Spirit, not of fear, but power, love, and self-control. Oh Lord, that's so contrary to all of what we are. We're weak, we're bitter and angry, and we're fearful. We lose control, and yet we turn to You and ask by Your Son, Your risen Son, in the power of the Spirit, that we may live in ways that honor You. Amen.